in your way. And Father, I pray that you would help us after a week of being frustrated trying to walk in our own way. Father, to come and find your way and to walk in it. I pray that you would make us a room full of Jesus followers and a room full of people who are just so full of Jesus that we shine his light everywhere we go. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You guys going to have a seat? Are you fired up? I mean, you kind of pumped? Good. All right. I like it. Well, I'm going to turn off my timer then. I don't need that. You guys are ready to go. Just a real quick announcement. Uh, Christy and I are going to host a little worship and prayer thing at our house Tuesday night at 630. Uh, it's simple and it's really about praying, but it'll be, we'll do a little worshiping too. If you want to come, we're at 7 Big Sky Drive. If you show up at 7 Big Sky Trail, that's going to be hilarious because I don't know who lives there. But uh, seven big sky drive. So we're in our series, uh, Good Times, and we're talking about some times that Jesus had some fun. And uh, so we want to join him in those good times. That's what the series is about, is how to live your life where Jesus is living his. And uh, so today we're going to talk about the time that Jesus showed up and went to a place went where, no, where other people don't go. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, I hear people throughout the years of ministry, I've heard this expression a lot, like, I just can't hear from God. I feel like God's far away, those kinds of things. One of the epiphanies I had over the last year was that a lot of times we are living our lives in places very different from where Jesus lived his. If you look at Jesus' life, he spent his time among people who were needy, who were hurting, who were struggling. And uh, so a lot of times I spend my life in the most comfortable ways that I can. (laughs) And Jesus was out there among people. So today we're going to dive into this moment where Jesus saw somebody that no one else wanted to see. So have you ever noticed that there are a lot of invisible people in the world? You're driving out of Walmart and there's that guy with that sign that says something, uh, you know, humorous or whatever, but basically I need some money for whatever to fix a car or whatever it is he needs. But, you know, sometimes you stop and help or you you hold some money out the window, but sometimes you just like... You don't want to see that guy. You don't have time for that. you got somewhere to go. Or you're in that uh, Walmart. I have a lot of traumatic experiences at Walmart, so I'm sorry about that. But you're in Walmart, and there's that mother, and she's got the kids, and she has lost control of the kids, and probably her wardrobe too. I mean, you're like, why did you wear that out in public? And People that you just don't want to, I mean, they're, they're the sad people, the angry people. Um, we just don't want to see them. They're, they're, they, they get invisible. Whatever we don't want to deal with, we try not to deal with. And Jesus was like not like that at all. Jesus was not like that at all. Jesus, he went places where people didn't go. He talked to people that other people didn't talk to. And that was, Jesus was all about seeing invisible people. Jesus was all about seeing the invisible. And Jesus saw you, right? That's why you're here today, man. Jesus showed up at some point. He saw you when no one else even wanted to see you. And Jesus walked up in your wreck when no one wanted anything to do with your mess. And that's the kind of story we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a, a guy that the Bible calls Levi. He's also referred to as Matthew. And he's one of the disciples of Jesus. And we're going to look at that first moment where Matthew and Jesus meet. So let's look in Mark chapter 2. And uh, we'll get started verse 13. Here it is on the screen. Here we go. Then Jesus went out to the lakeshore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. 
And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. So he's an IRS agent. Woohoo! All right. <clears throat> Taxation is theft, all the libertarians just said. Anyway, so. <laughs> Somehow I knew that was going to get a ripple. Anyway, so. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and he followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples. Now, this is the part of the story that makes you mad, okay? Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many, pe there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. So Jesus was all about the invisible. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? You jerks, right? That's what I'm thinking. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. This, this is a beautiful account of Jesus seeing someone else that others don't see. And if you're sitting here this morning, I'll just go ahead and preface this message with this. If you feel like what, no one can see you and no one cares about you, that is just so not true. And we want to walk with you and with Jesus into a new path for your life, okay? But here's Levi just doing his thing, right? Uh, he, he's just collecting taxes. He works for the Roman government. All his, all his people, the Jews, think he's a traitor because he's a tax collector for Rome and they hate Rome and consider Rome an evil oppressor. And so he has betrayed his own people and he's collecting taxes for their enemy. And so this is Levi and this is every day. He goes out, tex, tex, uh, collects taxes. I'm thinking he's got a couple goons around him too. I, I just, I don't know, this is how I feel like the IRS is anyway, but that's just me. I just, I'm just, if you work for the IRS, uh, my name is Jim. Uh, it's, a, it's different than what it says on the thing. Longfellow, Jim Longfellow, that's my name. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> so here's Matthew doing his thing. And here's Jesus being weird. I'm going to tell you, if you haven't figured out that Jesus is weird, you are not reading his story right, Okay. Jesus is weird. And why, I, why would I say that? Okay, every other rabbi in Jesus' day, they did not pick their disciples. Okay, they, they went out and they taught their thing, whatever it was their philosophy or their particular coloring of whatever Judaism was, and then disciples picked them. But their disciples were like these very smart intellectual dudes. I mean, they were trying to become rabbis themselves or, or trying to move on up in the pharisaical chain of events, you know, or chain of authority. But not Jesus. Jesus won. His disciples didn't pick him. He picked his disciples. Not only did he pick his disciples, he picked disciples that no one else would have ever picked in a million years. No one would have picked Levi. Nobody would have come to the tax collector trader's table and said, be my disciple. That would, that would not have happened. There was no hope. There was no possibility that Matthew was going to be any disciple of any rabbi ever. And Jesus walks up in the middle of all of that. And what does he say? Follow me. He gives him that instruction to, let me, let me go back to it in the text so I'll read it. Follow me and be my disciple. Follow me. 
and be my disciple. You need to know that Jesus sees you. But you also need to know that Jesus invites you to follow him. There is no form of Jesus following, of of true biblical Christianity, that ends the day with Matthew still in business as a tax collector. There is no view of Jesus reaching out to Matthew that ends up with Matthew still in the same circle of friends he had before he met Jesus. Jesus is always making an invitation for you to travel from where you are to where he's going. Do you understand that? This is what it means to follow Jesus. And you need to know this is a daily thing. This isn't just, oh, well, yeah, man, I, I prayed a prayer when I was six and I go to church some. That will not fly. That is not what Jesus invited you into. Jesus invited you into a path that he defines and that he determines. Does that make sense? And I know you're sitting there going, I don't know if I like that Jesus. That's the only one there is. There's only one Jesus. And Jesus is inviting you into a new path today. Today. I, I, I don't care about the... Uh, today we are not talking about the decisions you've made in the past and the growth you've had up to this point. Today we're talking about where you go from here. Does that make sense? Say amen, even if you don't like that. Amen. There you go, that's good. Amen means I agree. It's just, a, it's just an old way of saying, that's cool. Now, that's cool is 70s for other terms. So, like, that's legit. That would be 90s or maybe 2000s. You're like, Michael, you've lost your mind. Amen, brother. Back to Matthew, because I wandered there for a minute. There's a passage in Luke where Jesus is telling a story about a tax collector. He says the tax collector, Jesus finishes the story with the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I don't know. I mean, there's no proof. What Luke tells us is a parable, which means it's not, it's not actually factual events. It's true, but not factual However, you have to wonder, and I think there was a movie I saw not too long ago that kind of hinted into this idea. You have to wonder if that's Matthew's, what Matthew's heart was when Jesus showed up at his table that day. If, ta- if somehow Matthew had been in a place that was broken like that, that he wanted to be a, a disciple, that he wanted to be in a different pathway of life, but he wasn't. And so Jesus walks into that moment, and that's what invites uh, Levi slash Matthew into another thing. This is what Jesus does. He always invites us to a new place. Always invites us into a new journey. So, what do we want to do with this? So I'm going to jump around a little bit today. I'm changing things up from the early service because I like to confuse myself and keep it fresh. (laughs) So, we want to begin with this idea. Do you follow Jesus? So if Jesus is asking people to follow him, If Jesus is asking people to leave something behind and to walk into something new, do you follow Jesus? I mean, if you were in Matthew's shoes, and we were to kind of metaphorically compare your life to Matthew's life, and you're sitting at your table, like Matthew was sitting at his tax collector table. That tax collector table was a lot of things to Matthew. It was his income, his living, it was his security. 
It, it gave him opportunities with the enemies of his people, and it limited his friendships. A lot of Jews were not going to be Matthew's friend because of his job and his career choices. So when you think of all that, and you're looking at Matthew's messed up table, now take that metaphor of Matthew's table of tax collecting and, and, and working and being a, a trader and all those kind of things that everyone perceived him as, but also remember that this is his living, this is his income, this is his job, uh, and this is the source of his friendships, okay? So now what's your table? Let's take that and look in your life. What do you depend on? What's your security? What gives you opportunity in life or limits you in life? That's your table. You, the friendships you have, the relationships you're connected with, what is that for you? And if Jesus busts up in the middle of your business of the day, and he says, hey, I want you to follow me and be my disciple, what do you do about that? What does that mean for you to, to walk out of uh, what you know and what you're comfortable with? And so as we begin this journey into to, to walking with Jesus into places no one else would go, you need to begin to, to think about, where am I today? And if Jesus asked me to follow and be his disciple, what is he asking me to leave behind? What is he asking me to, to, uh, to leave in my rear view so I can walk in his path? Your version of the American dream, your hopes, your needs, your provision, all that stuff's going to be on the table. And Jesus is always showing up in the middle of that, saying, follow me. And he's saying that to you today. So I asked, do you follow Jesus? And what does that look like? Because Jesus had some really clear terms, clear terms about what it meant to follow Jesus. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says to his disciple, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. So there's that. That's a challenge, right? What does he mean by that? I mean, really, Jesus wouldn't want me to be uncomfortable, would he? Jesus wouldn't want me to sacrifice or lay things down that I want, would he? But it really sounds like in this text that Jesus wants us to see that he should be our main priority. And so if you're not following Jesus yet, or you don't know what that means, I want to encourage you to start that journey. Or if, if, if you haven't leveled up with Jesus in a while, then I'm going to also ask you to, to consider leveling up today, taking it to a whole new level, because Jesus is unique. If you think you've got Jesus down, that you understand Jesus, you don't. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just, I'm just telling you, you don't know. Jesus is always surprising people. Read his story. Read the Gospels. Read the Gospel of John. Jesus is always blowing people's minds. And if the Jesus you follow isn't blowing your mind, you're probably not following him very well. So how can you level up? How can you follow him more, more intensely? Because Jesus is not asking you to add junk to your life. Do you understand that? Jesus doesn't, isn't asking you to add a bunch of religious stuff to your life. Going to church is great. We'll talk about the value of that in just like a half a second. Serving, giving, uh, you know, singing, worshiping. Maybe you come from a more liturgical background and you do liturgy and ritual and, and those kind of things. Jesus is not asking you to add that stuff on your life. Probably just some of you might be a little shocked. What are you talking about? 
All of that stuff is not a means to an end. All of that stuff is an evidence of a choice. You understand? People do that stuff because Jesus is amazing, because Jesus has overwhelmed them. And you need to understand that there, there's, we talk to children about asking Jesus in their heart, and, and it's a way that we try and communicate to them the importance of having Jesus in your life. But it, it is also a very immature term. You don't ask the overwhelming into your heart. You surrender to the overwhelming. Jesus is more than you can imagine. He's incredible. So if you are interested and you're thinking about starting this journey and you're kicking the idea of faith around in your life, we're not here about religion. We're here about transformation. We're here about miracles. We're here about God doing things in our life that we can't do on our own terms. Does that make sense? And that's what Jesus is about. When he asked Levi into the pathway, says, follow me and be your disciple, you know what happens after that, right? I mean, blind eyes are open, lame people walk, and dead people live. And that's the kind of journey Jesus is inviting you into. But that kind of life doesn't fit in this this concept of middle-class America. That kind of life is unique. It's, It's weird. You're like, man, is he saying Jesus wants me to be weird? Actually, I'm saying Jesus is weird, and if he's in your life, you're going to get weird. But anyway, that's uh, another thing. (laughs) Amen. Thank you. I guess what I'm trying to say is, a lot of people think that they're following Jesus when they're really just doing their own thing. Okay? So several weeks ago, I was in prayer, and you ever have a season in life where you're like... uh, I mean, you, found, you feel about as spiritual as a bowl of dry cornflakes. You know, you're like, <laughs> you're, like a, you're like that fall pumpkin in January, all collapsed in and frozen. You know, that's how you feel spiritually, you know. So I'm having a day like that. I'm like, God, what's going on? I need you to help me. I need you to, man, Lord, I don't know what it is, but I need to be in sync with you. Will you prepare? my way today. That's a Bible term and it just popped up in my prayer. Prepare my way. The Lord's going to prepare. That sounded good, right? And then the Lord, sometimes he's a, sometimes he's a little snippy. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and it was like he said to me, as I'm praying, the thought hit my mind. If I prepared the way for you, would you walk in my way or would you try and blaze your own trail? And I was like, oh, you got me there. Because Michael likes to do what Michael likes to do. And I'm real good at asking God to bless what I'm up to. Rather than trying to walk in what he has prepared. He does prepare our paths. He does prepare a way. I'm just really bad at listening to what he's telling me about. So, <clears throat> first thing I want to ask you is, do you follow Jesus? So if you, do, if you're, you need to start that journey or level up in that journey. Second thing I want to show you out of this text is how that you should also invite Jesus into your world. So I love the story of Levi. I love the story of Matthew. Think of all the people that came to see Jesus when he was on earth, okay? The crowds followed him. He, had to, he never got a day off. Or very seldom got a, a rest. 
People were just crowding him everywhere he went. But think about those people. Why did they, why were they after Jesus? Some of them wanted miracles. Some of them were just going to see if anything interesting was going to happen. They didn't have Facebook back in those days to keep them distracted. So something had to entertain people, you know. And so some of them were just like, maybe he'll do something cool today. So they're following him around. Some of them needed stuff from him. They had needs. Some of them wanted to hear his teaching and, and see how what he taught about things that they'd heard their entire lives, but Jesus taught it in a way that was fresh and alive. Some of them liked to see him burn the Pharisees. Man, he used to throw down some arguments that would blow their minds, and that was, I'm sure, very entertaining for them. But not many people, hardly any people, almost no one, invited Jesus back to their world. Some of them invited Jesus to their town to do a miracle for somebody or for someone they needed. But Matthew is actually the only account we have in the Gospels where Jesus is invited to Matthew's friend's party. Jesus was invited to a kegger. I'm telling you, that's what it was. All right? You're like, that is so carnal. He's so carnal. It's true. I'm not lying with you. I mean, it's true. But what I want to show you about this is, is that Matthew took the time... He was so impressed by Jesus, so captured by the reality that Jesus saw him, that he invited Jesus to his friends, get together. The Bible says in Mark 2, we just read it, but let's read it again. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. It's one thing to, to ask Jesus in your heart. But to surrender to Jesus so much so that you invite Jesus into your world, that's a different thing. That's another level, right? And so, I mean, it raises a lot of questions. How do we bring Jesus into our world? And I think one of the really important things that we need to do is we need more Jesus in our lives. I think we need to, the Bible talks about hiding God's word in our heart. And so, basically, the, the, the psalmist encourages us to, to get more of God's ideas, God's Word in us. But we learn from John 1.1 that the Word of God, even though the Bible is critical, the Word of God is actually Jesus, the Son of God. And so when we hide the Word in our hearts, we're, we're bringing Jesus into our thoughts, into our emotions, into how we live our lives. And so... If you're going to start inviting Jesus into your world, there's only one way Jesus gets in your world. And that way is through you. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. What is he saying? You are all a bunch of crackpots. I mean, I'm sorry, cracked pots. That's what, I, that's what I should have said. Oops. And what God's design is for us at this moment in history is that we be filled with the glory and the treasure of God. Okay? But you're a bunch of leaky jars. You're a bunch of cracked pots. And so as you fill, as you hide Jesus in your life, in your thoughts, in, in your considerations and ideas, your life brightens. You get, there's more that shine out of you, and it shines out of your broken places. Does that make sense? It shines out of your brokenness. 
This is powerful and can be powerful in your life because a lot of us are so ashamed of our weaknesses and our failures, and those are the things that Jesus died for. Those are the things that can be forgiven. The minute you're willing to turn them over to Christ, they can be covered in his forgiveness, covered in his blood as the song sings, just washed away. And so as your life is filled with his light and those cracks begin to show up, if Jesus is in you, what comes out of you? Jesus. You squeeze an orange, orange juice comes out. You squeeze a Christian, Jesus comes out. <laughs> Your boss will be squeezing you tomorrow. I'm just going to let you know that that's what's going to happen. If Jesus is going to get in our world, it's going to be in your skin. Does that make sense? So invite Jesus into your world. You would do this because of your surrender to his overwhelming reality. Who he is. What he means. What he's done. I cannot think of an aspect of Jesus that isn't completely and entirely overwhelming. As you surrender to that, and that just works its way through your life, it begins to creep out of your life. And as it leaks out of your life and into your workplace, into your family, opportunities come for you to invite Jesus into those situations. So do you follow Jesus? And second, have you invited Jesus into your world? And the last thing, but don't think we're done. we got a ways to go. I don't want you to get excited. When I was a kid and the pastor said, and finally, I get my hopes up. I grew up in a fundy church. They did 30-minute th- invitations. I mean, I- I've done 106 verses of, of just as I am, you know. So, anyway, sorry. <clears throat> I was having a flashback. Thank you for being my support recovery group. Anyway, <laughs> Mark 2, 13 Jesus says, "Ah, well, it's not 13. I have a mistake on my slide. But there's this line that makes me a little mad. Why does he eat with such scum? Yeah, we need to follow Jesus. And we need to invite Jesus in our life. But we also need to give our label to Jesus. Because when you read that line, the reason it makes you mad is because somebody has said something that made you feel that way before. You see... Matthew had a table, and that table was his career. And the people that knew him and didn't know him, that just knew of him, hated him, disliked him because of his table. And I don't know, I'm imagining, of course I have this weird imagination, and I can see Matthew there at his table, and he's got the nameplate, Matthew or Levi, tax collector. And I I already made the taxation theft joke, right? Okay, I'll back out of that one. So, my... My, I used to have a label. Now, don't get me wrong. I love what I do. But I just had this name plate on my desk, Michael Maynard. had pastor underneath it. You know what happens when you tell folks you're a pastor? Not much. They don't talk to you anymore. It just gets weird. <laughs> just like. So I usually just say I'm Michael so I can actually talk to people and get to know them. So I get to meet the real person. But my point is not, that's just an aside. My point is simply this. Everybody in this room is wearing a label that Jesus died for. And you are no longer defined by that label. The minute you walk away from whatever your table is, whatever your dependence is, and you walk into His path, your label doesn't matter. You're no longer defined by what you do or what you have done. You are defined by who Jesus Christ says you are. 
You are defined by the value of what Christ paid for you on the cross, not by your efforts, energies, possessions, dollar signs. You're not defined by any of that stuff. Jesus says through his death that you're worth the life of the Son of God. That's your value. Then, three days later, he rose from the dead to show you that you are worth the battle against hell and death for God to live again in Jesus Christ. And so you're worth that as well. That's your value. Do you understand that? You get that. So this label you're wearing, loser, failure, uh, whatever it is, rip it off. In fact, it cannot stick to you because you can't stick a label on somebody who's covered in the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> so, give your label to Jesus Christ. You're no longer bound by that label. Let it go. You're also no longer bound by expectations. This is a hard one. We live in a world that has cultural, political, financial, all these expectations. So much that everyone wants you to do. The world around you wants you to do. And we are so worried about appearances. And what we need to be worried about, well, we shouldn't be, we need to recognize that there are consequences and turn those over to Jesus. But this idea of making everybody in our world happy, it's not going to happen. We live our lives at the mercy of people. Christian, this, this is infuriating, so when I word it this way, I hope it makes you as mad as I'm irritated about it. Christians who are free in Christ are living their lives in slavery to people who are slaves to sin. We live our lives in slavery to slaves because we are trying to live up to political, cultural, social expectations. Well, Jesus Christ died for those things. And by the way, the minute you became a believer, the minute you walked away from your table and started following Jesus Christ, you weren't from here anymore. You were reborn in another place. This world is not your home. You are now on a camping trip, a really bad one. <laughs> and you are on your way home. And so the, the ideas and the constraints of this world should not hold you. They, they, you are not bound by those expectations anymore, anymore because this world is in your home. You're not bound by your ignorance either. I'll just throw this into this category for a second. Um, we, we, there's so much that we don't know. But I don't know if you know this, but the second you place your faith in Christ, God puts his Holy Spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit is better than Google better than YouTube, man. He knows everything. He knows everything. And he knows spirit things. He knows heaven things. He knows supernatural things. You can't find that stuff on YouTube or Google, okay? And so you need to know that God has put that in. So you're not the mercy of your ignorance anymore because of what God has put in you. So those expectations are overcome. Your ignorance is overcome in Jesus Christ. You're no longer bound by religion. No, what, what do I mean by that? Michael, we're in a church. You're not in a religious church. If you hadn't figured that out yet, I don't know what to tell you, man. What do you mean by that? In this room, there are people who are Baptists, Pentecostals, Assembly of God, Catholic, uh, LDS. Oh, gosh, I don't even know what else. I mean, there's just all kinds of different faiths represented in this room right now. Okay? And that's really cool, by the way. In fact, Michael, Steve, and I have this conversation periodically that's like this. How is this working? Because we don't know. But I think it works because all of you are after one person named Jesus. 
And see, the reality is, one of the things we used to say it, uh, when we started Ordinary Faith was, we're going to major on the majors, which meant what, we were not going to argue about incidental doctrines. We just weren't going to do it. We're going to focus on Jesus Christ, His Word, leading people to Christ, and, make, and helping them become disciples that follow Jesus. Those are the things we we're going to focus on. And so we, by doing that, we didn't have to delve into all these areas where people like to, to, to uh, hurt each other. <laughs> You got two Christians, you got three opinions. Don't ask me how it works out. It's just, it's just how it works. But here's the thing. I believe, based on what I read in scriptures and the climate and the world in which I live, that the world is going to become a more and more difficult place for people who actually want to follow Jesus and trust the Bible. Okay? If you lived on the mission field, and this has been true in the mission field forever. If you lived on the mission field where Christianity is in a minority, and I would say that Christianity is a minority in our country as well right now, but uh, I would call it biblical Christianity would be in a minority. But that's, that's me uh, doing things that I do which you don't care about. Let me move back to where I was at. If you were on the mission field, and you're in a place where Christians are in the minority, and you, maybe you're a Baptist, and you meet a Pentecostal, here in the United States, you put a Baptist and Pentecostal together, you've got a three-hour shouting match. It's going to happen, okay? On the mission field, you have two brothers in Christ because you need each other. And you need to encourage each other. You need to stand with each other. And the only thing that really matters is we're both chasing after Jesus. Guys, you're on a mission field. This idea that we have the luxury to sit around and argue about stuff that no one gives a flip about anymore it's got to go away. Thank you. <clears throat> I might have an attitude, sorry. And we have to come together and, and get past it. I'll tell you another thing, too. There's a day coming where it will be so challenging that we're going to need each other so much, we're going to wonder why we ever spent wasted time disagreeing with each other. Why we ever wasted time letting our feelings get hurt with each other. Because I'm telling you, we need each other. We really do. So, go, go over your label. You're not bound by that label anymore. You're not bound by religion anymore. You're not bound by the expectations of the world anymore. In fact, here's what's the real story. Galatians chapter 5, I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus was all about freedom. And he says in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So I'm here to tell you guys, you are free. Your past, it's over. In Christ, you are free. Your failures, done. In Christ, you are free. Your situation right now, maybe you're struggling with your finances. Maybe you're struggling with a job. Maybe you're struggling with your relationships, your marriage, whatever it is. Guys, you're free. I, I know that you're like, well, my circumstances are challenging. Yeah, I didn't say you wouldn't suffer as a free person. The reality is, is that you're still free in Christ. You're free. So stop living your life in slavery to slaves to sin. Let me say that again. Stop living your life in slavery to slaves to sin and live your life in the freedom that Christ provides. Did I say that freedom meant that your, your path would be a rose-strawn pathway? No, slaves love to persecute free people, all right? But the Bible says in Peter that when you suffer for being free in Christ, it is a joy. You will have more fun on Jesus' path in pain than you will ever have on the world's path in pleasure. Does that make sense? And so guys, do you follow Jesus? 
Are you on his path? Have you invited Jesus into your world? Do people around you know that you follow Jesus? And can you let go of your label and let Jesus take that today? Let go of your past? Whatever it is today, what I'm asking you to do with it is that if you know, if you're like, as we were talking about that table in your life, if you know what you need to leave behind, I'm asking you to leave it behind today. So as we go to prayer, worship team, why don't I go ahead and get you to come up? But as we go to prayer, why don't you mentally image that table and what's on it, and why don't you just see Jesus today busting in the middle of your life and inviting you to follow him? Why don't you see yourself with that stupid label that every time you hear it, it makes you feel like you're six or ten or in trouble or whatever it is. Why don't you see that label? Hello, my name is regret. My name is shame. See it on your chest. Rip it off as we pray. Throw that sucker on the ground and be done with it. Let's stand and we're going to pray. Let me pray first, Steve. I'm going to pray. Keep playing. Father God, we come to you this morning and we come to you and ask you to help us discard our labels and wreck our tables. We ask you, Lord, to set us on a path that's into you and into your will, a path that invites you into our world, a path that exposes everyone we know to a radical love for Jesus in our life. Please don't let anyone leave without knowing you and walking away from what was so they can be who they really are in Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. Thank you, Steve.